Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And see, the thing is, is as, they're, as God is going to use to teach them war, this holy war, that God, they could see God's hand working in and through them, as long as they were obedient, God would give them the victory. And the thing we have to remember is that righteousness and freedom, it's worth fighting for. Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says, so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. Welcome everyone to our Bible study with Pastor Rob Kellogg. We know historically the nation of Israel is no stranger to war. This was another reason why God allowed the Canaanites to remain where Israel did not drive them out. God wanted his people to be warriors, and the presence of these dangerous neighbors would make it necessary for the future generations to know war. Our God knows all. Now let's join Pastor Rob with our lesson for today. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And here's the exhortation, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. The idea of chastening is really wonderful. It really uh, is, it, it talks about a cultivation of, of a mind and, and morals, and it admonishes, and it, it reproves, uh, even with punishment, but it it's includes the training, even the care of the body. I mean, uh, God allows us to be chastened to, to teach us, but it's always with a purpose. There's a, there's, a, there's a goal in mind. Unlike when perhaps you were younger and your father told you not to touch something and you touched it and then he just walloped you one or he, you said something uh, a little off and, and, and you were spanked and maybe you didn't even realize what it was. And perhaps he, out of anger, continued to maybe spank you a few more times than perhaps what he should have. But see, God doesn't do that. When God chastens us, it's always with the intention of instructing us to righteousness. And if he didn't instruct us, let's go on here. It says, verse 6 in that same chapter, For whom the Lord chastens, or for, the whom, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every one, every son whom he receives. And the word chastens there again is, is chastisement. It's, it's a molding of the character, either by reproof or admonition. And again, it's always instruction. So if you're going through something and you're not learning, 
you're probably going to go through it again. You're probably going to go through whatever it is that got you into that place again. Because it's sort of like a test. You know, when your teacher gives you a test, a pretest, you fail the test, and he says, well, I'm going to give you the test again, and I'm going to take the average of the two grades. You know, that's grace, isn't it? And so, but that's what God does. And he says, verse 7, he says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which we all are, have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, the King James says you're bastards. Because that's what a bastard is, is an illegitimate son or daughter. That's what that is. And so, but we are not, because the Lord does chasten us. And he says, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyous for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, and we all know this, Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that wonderful? You've been chastened by your own, you know, your physical father, and then you know you've done something wrong, and he rightly um, chastened you. Maybe it was a spanking. Maybe it was sending you to your room for a day. Whatever the punishment may have been, and then he comes into the room after you've been there for a while, and he explains to you why. This is why. This is why I had to do what I had to do, and here's my heart behind it. This is the reasoning, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a relaxation. Now the child is, is knowing that my, my father has done this to me because he loves me. If he didn't love me, he would treat me like a bastard son. He would treat me like an illegitimate where he doesn't care. But a father or mother who cares is one who chastens, and that's who God is. And that's why he he tests, he proves, and he continued to do it, and he continues to do it today, and to us as well. He he chastens those whom he loves. So going on here in verse 1 uh, in Judges 3, it says, now these, now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Notice the wars in Canaan. And what kind of wars were these? Was this just two warring factions against each other? Was this just one nation against another? And because they, they ate different things, because they dressed a different way, maybe they even looked a little bit different. Was it just because of those differences that they hated each other like what we see today? No, it wasn't that at all. In fact, the reason why God brought them into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, was to defeat and to dispossess seven nations that had gone over the line. They had been going over the line for years. God gave them plenty of time to repent, and they did not. And so... Uh, This was a holy war. And this wasn't even a war between the Israelites and the Canaanites. This was a war between God and a rebellious seven nations. And God was using his own people as the lightning rod against those seven people, those seven nations, excuse me. So it was a holy war. And they were to be a part of God's judgment against those nations and against those people. And it's interesting to see how God uses nations, even pagan, ungodly nations, against his own people. He even uses ungodly pagan nations against his own people to get them to turn to God and to repent. But he also punishes those nations as well because of their ungodliness and their idolatry. And a good example is Babylon. 
and God used a pagan, ungodly nation like the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to bring judgment upon his own people, and even called Nebuchadnezzar, the king of that nation, his servant. He called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. This is interesting. So this is a war, a holy war between God and these people. And God was going to use his own children as judgment against this people group. And it's not unlike God to do that. We see it in the scripture. We see it here in Jeremiah 25. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, now remember, Jeremiah is prophesying during a time when Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're literally on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They got embankments, and they're basically laying a siege to the city in around 606 B.C. And so there the inhabitants are, scared to death. They're running out of food. They're starting to eat them, eat their babies because their food sources are, there's famine in the land because they're cut off from all their food supplies. But notice what what God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the peoples of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. And I have spoken to you, rising up early and speaking, but notice, you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all of his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. So they said, Repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Now notice verse 8. This is interesting. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heeded my words, notice what happens. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Can you believe that? My servant. This At the time, Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan idolater, and yet God knew, in his knowledge, he knew that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come to him. We read about that in Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is probably in heaven, and, and God speaks to him as a servant because he was doing his bidding to bring judgment against his own people, to chasten them, to even judge them for their idolatry. And God was going to use this pagan nation And he says, And I'll bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, I'll bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against those nations all around, and I will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations, notice, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years. And so there it is. Now notice verse 12. This is important. Then it will come to pass. Now notice how the tables turn. God was going to use Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come against his own people. Now watch watch what happens to Babylon. Then it will come to pass, verse 12, when 70 years are completed, that I'll punish the king of Babylon. 
and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. Isn't that amazing? that God would use Nebuchadnezzar. Some would say, well, why would you use them to punish your own people and then punish them for punishing your people? Well, the answer is, Nebuchadnezzar was not a puppet. Uh, In other words, Nebuchadnezzar had his own free will. During all of this, he was completely oblivious to God, but God knew this man's heart and what his intentions were doing and where his intentions were slanted toward. And God just allowed him to carry out his own wicked schemes because he was a man who was an egomaniac. He was um, uh, wanted to conquer the whole known world, and, and, and that's what he liked to boast in. And that's where his pride was. And yet God will also get a hold of that man. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And so we also see this. We're not going to read this tonight for the lack of time, but I would like to share something with you. God would also use Cyrus. Cyrus would be the one who would come and conquer Babylon. He would use another nation, an ungodly nation, to conquer another ungodly nation. And that's what happened that night in Belshazzar when he was in the room and they were drinking and having this drunken orgy. Remember that night that Belshazzar lost his life and the Chaldeans were taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And so God would use the Medes and the Persians as his lightning rod against Babylon. And and even called Cyrus his shepherd. His shepherd. Cyrus his shepherd. You know, it's interesting. Cyrus was the one who allowed the Jews to come back into their land and to build not only their temple uh, after the 70 years of captivity, but he also allowed them to build the walls around Jerusalem. And that was, of course, a prophecy uh, that was fulfilled in in Daniel, partially. uh, Daniel 9, verses 24 through 26, I believe it is. But the one thing I think it's really interesting about Cyrus is that God called Cyrus, who was this king of Persia, he anointed him some 200 years, or he... um, he called um, the, the Cyrus his anointed some 200 years before he was even born. Isaiah records for us in uh, Isaiah 45, it says, uh, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. And Cyrus hadn't even been born yet. It'd be another close to 200 years before Cyrus would even be conceived. And yet God called him by name. And I love it what he says down in verse 3. He says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name. He even goes down, he says, I have called you, verse 4, at the end of that, he says, I have called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. And then down in verse 5, the very last part of that, I will gird you, though you have not known me. I don't know about you, but that's pretty... And then when, when that was read to Cyrus, can you imagine how he was shaken in his boots? That 200 years prior, God called him to do what he did for the Jews. And I think that's wonderful. But God tests, right? That he might test Israel. And that all who had known uh, had not known any wars uh, in Canaan. In verse 2 he says, this was, this was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon, that's that's Hermon, Mount Hermon, 
And we were just there just a few weeks ago, and to be uh, to see Mount Hermon snow-capped from the top of Mount Arbel was an amazing sight. It was a beautiful day. It was kind of chilly, but the, the sky was completely clear. And we stood up there on Mount Arbel, which looks down. It's one of the highest peaks in that area, and it looked down on the, on the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And right immediately to your north, you can see several miles in the distance, several miles in the distance, Mount Hermon standing there in all of its glory and snow-capped, even in the summertime. Amazing sight. So from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And see, the thing is, is as, there, as God is going to use to teach them war, this holy war, that God, they could see God's hand working in and through them, as long as they were obedient, God would give them the victory. And the thing we have to remember is that righteousness and freedom, it's worth fighting for. We, you know, we, we shouldn't just lay down all of our, you know, we need to fight. And I don't mean fight physically, okay? God doesn't call us to pull out our guns and our swords. But where we need to fight the most is on our knees. And do we believe it? Do we believe that we need to fight on our knees? We need to fight in prayer. Believe me, God can do more through prayer than any man with a bazooka can do. He can do a lot more, and he can do it peaceably, and he can do it rightly. And so as Christians, we need to fight this battle first through prayer. And then, if opportunity is given to us, we need to express that in our ballots as we go to uh, vote for representatives and even presidents. We need to make our, uh, our voice known. That's how we fight. We don't fight physically. We fight with, our, with prayer and um, through legislation. Lastly, but we first we pray. So we need to pray. So verse 4, it says, when they, And they were left that he might test them. These nations were left in the land that God might test Israel by them to know, notice, to know, whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. The idea of know is to, to be known or to reveal. See, again, God knew, but he's allowing, he wanted to know whether they would obey. The idea is that he wanted to reveal what they were how they would respond, because that's when we're accountable. Uh, you know, God can't um, reprove us until we act upon our own heart. And so he tests us. He allows something to come to pass. He already knows the end of it, but he wants to know. He wants it to be revealed so that we can see it. That's the thing. And why, why were these things happening? Why were... You know, the, why were these nations coming against them? Well, somewhere the fathers should have obeyed. We know that they didn't. The fathers should have obeyed, and they should also be instructing their children in their history and the things that they've learned. And secondly, the children needed to listen and to be obedient. So it really causes two. You know, like the, the old phrase, uh, it takes two to tango. Uh, the fathers and the mothers, they need, to, they need to be faithful to share and to instruct. And the kids, they need to be willing to um, be obedient and to listen. And, and so um, we're all in that right now with our, with our grandkids, with your kids, uh, uh, with your own self. And it's so important that we do that. So going on to verse 5, he says, Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And again, this should never have been. This was not God's will, but because of their own disobedience, this was the consequence. There are consequences for sin. In fact, your sin will always find you out. Uh, let me read to you Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. 
and 21 through 23. Let me read it to you. This is when uh, Moses was speaking to the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh before they came across the uh, um, Jordan River into the Promised Land. And he said to them, And all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord. Then afterward, you, speaking of the Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, then you can return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, your brothers, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But notice this, But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And sin always has a way of finding us out. There are people, there are people who have committed murders, and I know that if, uh, if uh, there's, some, there's a brother... Um, that we know who has been in major crimes uh, for most of his career. There's been a couple of them, actually, that I know, a couple of brothers that I know are Christians, that they've been in major crimes involved in, Lee County, or in uh, Monroe County for several, for a couple decades. And they have stories to tell. And the thing is, is you can, you can bury someone, you can go through all of your, uh, the things that you try to do to hide and cover up your crime and Time has a way, God has a way of sneaking up behind you when you think you're scot-free and you've gotten away with it and all of a sudden there's a piece of DNA that shows up. Way back, you know, crimes that were committed many years ago when DNA wasn't even used because they didn't even have the technology, but now they do. And now they can go back and exhume uh, persons and they can find uh, evidence and, and arrest people in their old age. Some of these old men are spending time in bar, behind bars for the rest of their life because of that kind of thing. But your sin will always find you out. Going on in verse 6, it says, And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. This is an, a, a really incredible indictment that God gives to uh, the children of Israel. And this, unfortunately, was a partial fulfillment of the prophecy that God spoke to them earlier. I would encourage you to write these two uh, uh, scripture references down. And I've said them before, but I'm going to say it again because they're so important. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And, and make it a little note off to the side here on verse 6. Maybe write these down. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. And also... Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. Read those in connection with what these first six verses are, and it'll make a lot of sense to you. And it's just God, again, telling them beforehand, telling them beforehand. And it's a partial fulfillment because they would continue to do this for some time. And that's why they would go into captivity. That's why the Assyrians would take the northern ten tribes. That's why Babylon would come and grab the the southern two tribes, all because of this. And it started back here, and it just continued to perpetuate. And isn't it a horrible thing about human nature? We just don't seem to really listen. We don't seem to learn. Why is that? It's because of sin. It's because of stubbornness. We, we, we don't want to learn. We don't want anybody telling us that we have messed up, that we have sinned against God or have done anything wrong because our pride, and the devil loves this because he's the author of pride, he loves it when, when somebody is so proud in them, their own accomplishments, their own uh, whatever it is. And when they can stand up and say, this is not for me because I'm such and such. I've, I've done this and I've done that. And God's thinking to himself, 
I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what family you've come from. I don't care what pedigree you have. I don't care if you went to Oxford and Yale. I don't care if you have a great job in the White House. I don't care if you live on Capitol Hill. I don't care how much money you have or how much money you don't have. Uh, the soul that sins shall surely die. And see, that's where the gospel is so wonderful. We can have this confidence that when God, um, when he drops the hammer, he's serious. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.